Hey everybody, welcome to a new episode of Stuff Said, the show where I, Greg Shegel, cartoonist, talk to people in the worlds of comics, cartooning, and beyond. On this episode, my guest is Jason Howard, cartoonist, artist of the Astounding Wolfman, Super Dinosaur, the Sea Bear portion of Sea Bear and Grizzly Shark, and current artist as of this recording of the comic book series Trees. This was a this episode was a long time coming because Jason is somebody who was right out of the gate listening to the show. He let other people know about the show, and yeah, it was it was a long time coming for me to talk to Jason. But before that, I want to remind you that you can donate to support the show at stuffsaidshow.com, and in lieu of that, you can show support by buying my book Picks One Weirdest Weekend at pixcomic.com. P i x c o m i c. More on that after the conversation with Jason when I do the business after the conversation. But stick around because there's a there's a fun bit of business and some other business and I'm going to keep saying business over and over and over again. Okay, here's how it went down when I was in the state of Michigan and I finally sat down and talked to Jason Howard. Turn my game down. So I'm not coming in so hot. Yeah, I think it's starting right. to sound like Top Gun. Wasn't there a lot of talk about coming in hot, like the jets, the people in the when he buzzed the tower and spilled the guy's coffee? That's like in the first ten minutes, right? I don't know. It's been a long time. <laughs> it's been a long time. Speaking of Top Gun, yeah, like Tom Cruise aged pretty well. Val Kilmer, not so much. How about Kelly McGillis? <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen her? I don't think so. Not recently. I just saw Edge of Tomorrow, and Tom Cruise still looks like an awesome action movie star. Tom Cruise is an awesome action movie star. That movie was great. I haven't seen it yet, but he's an awesome action movie star. And for many years, you know, everybody, everybody, you know, he always plays the same guy. He's just playing himself. Right. And I always thought he was great. Right. Uh, I thought he was great in Jerry Maguire and Rain Man and all kinds of good stuff. He's super likable. And then you find out he's nuts. Yeah, but I don't care. No, I think it's better. Because <laughs> that, what, that gives him more range as an actor. Well, now you go, he's been playing a regular guy all this time. <laughs> and he's really been crazy. <laughs> and he's bonkers? This guy's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I, I like Tom Cruise. I find him very uh, compelling Yeah, yeah as, a, as a figure. And I don't care Like if I'm watching a movie. I don't know. Like It's all pretend. I don't know what anybody is in their real life. The producer could be a jerk. Like, I don't know. It's all pretend. I just want to enjoy the movie. Did you see the one? Oh, I can't. Why am I not thinking of the name of it? With Jamie Foxx? The Michael Mann movie? The taxi cab yeah. driver? Yeah. Uh, I know what you're talking about. I did see it. I liked it. The oh, way it awesome. Tom Cruise runs in that movie <laughs> is so amazing. I don't remember. His back is straight. Is it? Like, <laughs> it's incredible. He's just got this, in, this stride. Right. That's... Olympic, but his back is perfectly straight, right. like a like just hunt, right. like chasing this guy down. It's it's incredible. Well, him in Tropic Thunder, his like that's yeah. amazing. Like he was so funny in that. You're listening to Cruise Cast. <laughs> <laughs> We've totally flipped the flipped the podcast. Talking We're to Cruise Cast. This is Greg with my guest Jason Howard. We're talking about cruise. We're gonna go on cruise. It's, this cast is called Cruise Control. <laughs> Every week is just going to be a new guest <laughs> talking about how much you guys love Tom Cruise. <laughs> that would be a good. That might be a spinoff. 
Maybe just you, me and you talking right. about it. We'll go movie by movie. Well, I think I've hit my limit. Come like, on. Well, maybe not. We could do like an episode about Rain Man. An episode about uh, you can't handle the truth. Yeah. <laughs> A few good men. So we don't actually know the names of his movies. <laughs> we can always look them up. There's no bits, bits from the I've movies. never seen Taps. I could watch that. I the Outsiders. He's in that. No, Risky Business. Yeah, it's been a long time. But I'm saying this could be a real Cocktail. thing. Cocktail. Been a long time. The racing one. Tr- uh, Days of Thunder. Days of Thunder and oh, Tropic Thunder. That could be a twofer. <laughs> That's a double feature. <laughs> any other, and any other Thunder-based Tom Cruise movie. All the Thunder-based <laughs> really? Tom Cruise movies. Or we won't. Let's right. go back. Let's get back to stuff said, which we haven't even started yet. All right. I'm really tempted to just be... Just have a, like ignore everything on this clipboard, throw the script out, and just keep talking and seeing where this goes. See where Tom Cruise goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he never played a cartoonist. No, I don't think he did. Has he ever played a superhero, like a proper superhero? I don't know. Not Ethan Hunt, who's close to a superhero. He can stick to walls, but he needed technology for that. Failing technology. Yeah. The trope of all the Mission Impossible movies: nothing works quite right. I first came to know of you from Chris Giruso because you sat next to him at a convention. Wizard World Chicago 2000 and something. I don't recall the year. And I remember him talking about you. He's like, yeah, he's a cool guy, Jason Howard. And the, the one takeaway that I remember was you knew a lot of tech stuff. Like you introduced him to the Photoshop flatting filter. Yeah. And then he hipped us to it. Right. And it's like, he knows all these tricks. He knows all these shortcuts. <laughs> he can do these things. Uh, so that comes from your experience. It was in, in your, your day job prior to comics, yeah. which was art director of, yeah, some, of some kind. Yeah. Were you always keen on the tech stuff? Like, were yeah. you using Capsella as a little kid and building mechanisms that worked or any of that? I had, what were they were called? Were you always computer Ro- savvy? I always liked, technology and new things and building things. I built a lot of stuff when I was a kid. I used to build these, you know, my dad uh, had all kinds of tools. He's really into cars. So I would build using his tools probably at a far too young age to be using like um, big table saws that could like cut your arm off. You know, it was before things were like had guards to keep that from happening. It's just like, here's a giant saw that you pull down like a guillotine to cut wood. And, you know, I was probably... 10, 11, 12 years old using this stuff. But I would build like these really complicated rubber band guns that all had like, they were built with wood and dowels and had like moving pieces and parts and now, Gatling were you, gun style. Were and, you drawing blueprints first? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I would draw it out and design how I wanted it to look. And sometimes it would change in the building process. So how did you not end up being an engineer? I wanted to make cool stuff. And as I started taking like, drafting classes and that kind of stuff, it was all doing boring stuff. What about industrial design? Are you familiar with industrial design? Yeah, that's I, the coolest. I feel like if, if I had seen like a clear path to what that would be, yeah. you know, that that would have been something that would have interested me. You know, living in Michigan, there's a lot of car stuff. Sure. And so, you know, that's I... the focus. Yeah, that's I was that's exposed, what engineering means. Yeah, I was exposed <laughs> to some of that, and I thought, oh, it'd be cool to like design awesome cars you know, but as I started just in like high school, early college level, taking some of those kind of classes, again, it, it all seemed very boring and like you're designing like the gears and the mechanisms and, 
you know, like I wanted to do that stuff to do the cool thing. Yeah. You know, and my sort of the creative side of me wasn't, you know, it's like, oh, this is not, this is not for me. I think that's where that industrial design stuff is awesome. There was some show, it was called Better by Design. These two British industrial, have you ever seen that one? I've heard of it. It's just these two guys would look at an object and industrial design is the design of objects, things we use. Right. And they'd look at like the shopping cart. Right. And like, how can we make a better shopping right. cart? And yeah, they start yeah. doing sketches and, and right. like, this is the coolest thing in right. the, you know, car seats. Right. And you're sort of car. designing things that people take for granted yeah. unless they're poorly designed. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody... Bottle opener. Right. Exactly. Like that stuff is so cool to me. Yeah. Sean Chen is a studied industrial design. Huh. And I think that's fascinating. Like yeah. I want to have him on here just talk about that right, for an right. hour. Yeah. But he won't come on. And I love mentioning <laughs> that he won't come on because I know he listens. And eventually he'll, you'll pressure, pressure him. Maybe. Yeah. So <laughs> I want to take a quick sidetrack on the tech stuff though right. for a second because I thought of this and, and I haven't talked to anybody about this. So you're put next to Chris Jerusso at this Wizard World Chicago show. Yes. It's a thing that happens when you when you're certainly when you're starting but it, no matter what when you're doing a convention you don't always know who you're going to be sitting next to no i i remember very <laughs> clearly cuz it was i was doing the wizard world chicago show i'd done it like every year for years and i for whatever reason i didn't think i was going to be able to do it that year so i didn't sign up for artist alley table early i signed up late and i was kind of on a waiting list and then i guess they expanded some space so when they gave me my table assignment, you always look and see, all right, this is my table, but who's got the table on either side of me? I look at who's on either side and who's in front of me. Right. So I didn't recognize the person next to me, which is also an interesting story that I can tell in a second. Uh-huh. But I recognized Chris's name from the, the bullpen bits or... Yeah, yeah, mini Marvel bullpen stuff. bits, all yeah. that stuff, sure. So I was like, oh, I'm next to like somebody famous. <laughs> Like in my like, I was like, that's awesome, you know. Like, I get to sit next to Chris Russo. Like, that's gonna be so cool. So in my mind, Chris was like super famous, you know, guy doing all these awesome. Because I, you know, read all Marvel comics. Of course. And, you know, I thought they were really funny, and you know, like I wanted like more of that stuff. I wanted all the books, and you know, like I was trying to. I think I was probably trying to tell him at that convention he needed to do DC ones, and he could really like branch out and would just be in every comic book. So yeah. I thought his stuff was really funny. So I remember being super excited that I was going to be set up next to Chris before I ever met him, not knowing. And I had no idea how to pronounce his last name. I was just sure. Chris G with a bunch of letters, you know. Guy. Yeah. But, yeah. What about the other side of you? Oh, so the other side was it was somebody, a girl who was selling product. I don't remember what it was, like crafty purses or jackets or something, you know, comic booky related, but more of a product. And there was a guy helping her with her table. And his name was Jeremy, and, you know, he seemed friendly. I talked to him a little bit, but, you know, I didn't know he was an artist. He was just the guy there, and, you know, we didn't have, like, crazy conversations, but we had some interaction over the weekend, and, you know, he looked at my art and whatever. And, well, I see him at another convention, and that Jeremy was actually Jeremy Bastion, who does the Cursed Pirate Girl comic, is an amazing artist. Like, that's crazy that I met him, like, at a convention where he was just there as someone's table helper, and not even with his artwork, you know, where now he's, you know, a pretty well-known artist and, you know, super talented, and it was just one of those weird things at that convention, like, you know, and I still know Jeremy to this day, and we talk quite a bit. And you and, still know Chris. And I know Chris. And so. by virtue of you knowing Chris, then you know, I know you, you know and me the whole and... crew. And it all, and it spreads the other way too, because through you, yeah. I know Ryan Otley and Scotty Young, and yeah. all the, you know it's. Yeah. 
but there are also times where you're like, who am I going to be next? Like, so, the, okay, I want to talk about this a little bit because, again, we haven't, I haven't talked about it with anybody. There, there's a weird, I don't know if it's a weird thing, but there's just a thing that happens. You get to your table. Right. You sort of say hello to whoever's next to you. Right. And sometimes you end up chatting with them, and sometimes there's not a word. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, what, how does, <laughs> have you thought about that at all? Like, well, what makes at, that happen? At that wizard show, <laughs> probably the reason why we spent so much time talking is because neither of us did any business. I mean, uh, Chris did, he did more than me. He was way more popular, but, it, you know, it, they had expanded the Artist Alley area. So for the first time, there's like the regular Artist Alley, and then nowhere near that Artist Alley, there's this other room that's also Artist Alley that if you happen to accidentally walk by that aisle and you see a door and decide to go in it, you realize that there's a whole other Artist Alley. And that's where they put, I guess, all the people who signed up late, like me, so I don't recall there being like big name artists in there to draw people in. So there wasn't a lot of traffic. So I remember like just being bored and Chris would start sketches and then not like them and throw them on the floor. And I would grab them and just finish them just for something to do. And we were talking and I forget who someone was on the other side of Chris. Bob something. Yeah. He had a computer with a tablet and I forget what software, but he was like drawing stuff digitally and so that was something that I hadn't done at all yet. So Chris was like, he was telling Chris stuff and I was looking at him and I think he said he lived on an island somewhere <laughs> making these comics. And I'm just having visions of like this tropical island in this bungalow and this guy and his computer making comics. And it was a very surreal sort of situation. And, um, that, and that was really early. I mean, I think you had started drawing the pact. Yeah, I, at that but point. I was like halfway through. Right. Because at some point you drew a little G-Man doll on yeah. the desk. Yeah. As a yeah, sort of a tip end. of the hat yeah. to, to, to that weekend. Yeah. Going back to the technology stuff and the drawing parts. Yeah. When did you start applying those tricks and things? I mean, obviously you're doing it in, in the design work. Right. How did you start applying it to the work you're doing? Because you're still drawing by hand. Right. So is it all just shortcuts to make everything more efficient? Yeah. Or, or are you actually using those tools in the drawing process outside of a Cintiq, which is still just drawing right. by hand? No, I mean, I, I really, I like new stuff. So just for the sake of boredom, I like trying new stuff all the time, tools. And then, you know, I'm a big believer in the whole work smarter, not harder thing. And then I'm not the fastest artist in the world. So I'm like, I need things to sort of help close the gap. I'm not slow, but I consider myself kind of in the middle of the pack as far as like people that I know and their average speeds. And I think you're I don't pr know. pretty quick considering you're penciling, inking, and coloring a lot yeah, of stuff. Yeah, but I don't know. Like I hear people, you know, talk about banging out pages in a weekend or a couple pages a night. But are they penciling and inking and coloring No, but pages? I'm saying even if I was penciling, <laughs> I don't know that I... I'm not, I'm not being self-deprecating or I'm no, saying I know. I'm so slow. I just think I, I'm average speed. And I want to do a lot of comics and I want to get stuff done. And obviously the money side, you know, the faster you get it done, more money you're making. So sure. there's an incentive. And But even outside of comics, like stuff at the design job, I was very, some of the stuff I did there was changing processes around and using different kind of software and developing sort of efficiency things to help the department run faster and help the designers there get their jobs done faster. And I mean... You know, that was one of the things that, like, 
I guess I did really well there then was kind of rewarded for that kind of stuff was just finding ways. All right, here's a system that works. It takes us X amount of time to get a piece of artwork through the department. These are all the steps it takes. And then sort of looking at it unemotionally and objectively and saying, all right, now how could we do this and make it faster? And, you know, I like that thinking about my comic stuff that way. So between your time working on the pact mm-hmm. to working on scatterlands and trees, mm-hmm. what things have helped you refine your process? Can you think of examples of things that you've you've cycled into your work process right. that have created those efficiencies? Hmm. I mean, boom, first a good hard one. hitter out that, of the that gate. That is a good one. <laughs> Well, I mean, a lot of people use the B-Pelt flatting plugins, and that works really well for me on cleaner style artwork, stuff like scatterlands or trees. It, it doesn't work for so, but I colored all of Super Dinosaur, which was pretty clean. So I used those. That helped a little bit. I like. I have a um, one of the things that's really helped that I use now is a speed pad. It's a Belkin speed pad. It's like a little gaming. There's that glove thing, yeah, right? Yeah, it's kind of like a little mini keyboard, and it has scroll wheels, and it's all designed to be used with one hand. And then I just, you know, use that and program all my keyboard shortcuts to be things that will be on that. So between, like, writing little Apple scripts and building actions and stuff, anything that's like a repetitive process, I try to automate down into a button. And then when I'm drawing, I draw on the Cintiq so then I can keep my, you know, pencil, quote, on the screen with my right hand. And then my left hand is on that that has all my keyboard shortcuts So anything I'm using. So never having to sort of pull your pencil off the screen where you're drawing to go to the menu. It doesn't seem like a big difference, but it's like you want your brain to just think, I want a brush, I want an eraser, and just have your left hand do that motion so your pencil transforms into that. Yeah, you, you know. you've yelled at me because I yeah, sometimes... a million times. <laughs> I'll, I'm also on a Cintiq, but I'll sometimes reach my left arm over yeah. the keyboard. No, no, don't do that. Yeah. No, I've, I've started to program the buttons yeah. along the yeah. side of the yeah. thing. Yep. So I use that for filling and yep. for, um, uh, like, what is it? I guess the shift key right. and, the, and the option right. key are there. Yeah. But and part of my sort of hardcoreness on that with you comes from like, I, you know, like again, referencing back to the old day job is I was for a while responsible for training. And so that was one of the things like people would come in and they'd say, oh, I know how to use Adobe Illustrator. And you're like, all right, well, pretend I'm going to pretend you know nothing because this is how you use it. This is how we want you to use it. And you need to memorize the keyboard shortcuts and you need to do this and we need you to be fast. And, you know, we really kept tabs on like speed and that kind of stuff. And people would get monthly reports of how many projects they completed and, you know, all this stuff. Oh, I'm, I'm almost certain that if I took an eight, you know, eight hour workshop with Jason Howard and took notes, I'd learn so much because I'm pretty sure I use all that stuff. Like, like a Luddite, like, mm-hmm. oh, I can get this done. I'm right. going to move on to the next I thing. I mean, that's part of the problem with, you know, software programs, too. Like, you know, I'm joking with a friend of mine that, you know, we were like, if I had to learn Photoshop today, I don't even know where you would start. Where I learned Photoshop, whatever, version three or four, you know, yeah. the original, and then you just sort of follow it through. So as they add new stuff, you're kind of just building on your knowledge base. But to start, like, from square zero today seems like... Oh, it'd be a very daunting task. I think I think you learn based on what you need to know how to yeah, do. Yeah. So, you know, I recently learned InDesign, 
And by learned InDesign, I learned how to put files into InDesign and output a PDF. Right. That's, that's it. all I can do. <laughs> <laughs> like I can put a book right. together, kind of. Right. Well, you've got me beat there, so. <laughs> I'll teach you. Right. We'll uh, trade. It was talked to me in like a 10-minute phone call, so it's not impossible. Uh, but when you first open InDesign, like, I don't know. Right. This is a foreign language until one person says, this means this. Like, oh, of course, that's, that's just how Illustrator works, and it right. all connects. Yeah. You'd probably pick it up much, even much faster because you are like Tron. Well, I don't, I don't know if I'd go that far. I'm sure there's stuff I do. Like, I love listening to other people talk about how what what they use and how they do it because I'm like, oh, that I never thought of that thing, you know, so I try to stay flexible. And if I hear other people using things that are quicker, make them more efficient, now, especially that, with coloring, because that's that the easiest. You know that b flatter thing doesn't quite work as well with the new Photoshop. Oh, doesn't it? Yeah. I, I don't have the new, Yeah, I don't have the newest version. CSX, it'll fill, Yeah. but it won't flat. Uh, so it's a little tricky. Just letting you know, man. Be losing, losing the tool. <laughs> there may I haven't be used one. it for a while, anyway, just because of the because detail. Of the, yeah. yeah, stuff. But when you have, when you, when the shapes don't close, it's a mess. <laughs> <laughs> if there's a lot of feathering, a lot of right. cross hatching, the whole thing gets real, <laughs> real messy. Right, you talked about cars. I've heard you talk about drawing cars. Yeah. And drawing in that sort of classic. How we all drew cars. That side view. Yeah. Oh yeah. Side view of a car. Uh huh. Were you drawing, like, legitimate cars that could work, or were you drawing insane, super long nose, big engines out of the back? Yeah. You know, spo- crazy spoilers? More of that, although yeah. there are... There concept are, cars. Yeah, more concept cars, but there are cars, like, I remember drawing cars where I, I would think, all right, I want to draw, like, like, the car, what would the car that, like, my parents have... What would that look like if it was just nicer looking, you know? <laughs> what kind of car was it? It was a old Oldsmobile Cutlass, I think, okay. at the time. But I mean, and by nicer, nicer looking, in my mind, it meant like smoother. And yeah, more, more dynamic. Yeah, of more course. streamlined. But so, the, you know, I would do stuff that, you know, you wouldn't look at and say, oh, that's like a science fiction car. But most of the stuff was big, crazy tires and weird seating positions and science fiction cars would be your... So your, your dad was a car guy. My dad is a car guy as well. Yeah. There was always Motor Trend and yeah, and uh, what was the other one? There were two major car magazines. That's the one Car I and Driver. Read. Yes. Yep. So those were around the house also. Yeah, those, but more Hemmings Motor News. Sure, sure. Which is like, there's no pictures. <laughs> Every issue, it's like an inch thick. Yeah. It's like newsprint, an inch thick, black and white on the inside. Every like cover a is lot like of ads. Yeah, just for tons cars of ads selling for, and a lot of it is old. You know, again, like Model T era stuff. Wasn't the cover was just like flat color yeah, with like it's a, a f- simple car on it? Yeah. Like Hemmings Motor News. Yeah, and every cover looked the same except it said like volume, you know, the different number. It's sort of a gold color. That's right. And so that was more of the car stuff that my dad was into than... Was he putting cars up and, and refit, like cleaning them up, cleaning out engines? Was he doing the hands-on work? Yeah, but he would like, we would go to auctions or things, yeah. I remember, and he would buy cars that were super old, like from the twenties and thirties that weren't really cars anymore. They were a mess of fenders and chassis and all rusty. And then he'd bring them back and he had a sandblasting booth he built. And so he'd clean up the rust and paint them. And our dad should totally hang out, Yeah, do all that stuff. And he's really into like research of stuff. So he would try to find the original 
hood ornament from this and he got this one and it well that was on the four-door model not the two-door model and so you know looking around for the one that was from the the exact version of the car that he had and yeah so. and my 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 dad is more into that recently but i think when i was a tiny kid like before i knew what was up my dad ran a body shop i think he owned the body shop mm. and then went into the the body part business okay so yeah cars have always been around yeah and again motor trend and car and driver certainly yeah. so i just didn't know if, if you were seeing those magazines and if any of your drawings kind of like when you look at a handbook of the marvel universe right. or whatever and you start doing your stats for your right, superheroes right, right. you're inventing if you were doing that with your cars well a lot of it came from we would every summer we would probably go to three or four car shows and so they would have the sections with the what i considered to be the awesome cars and the sections with what i considered to be the boring cars <laughs> And so my dad would want to spend, you know, the time in the boring car section, which I since have come to appreciate. Like, there's tons of beautiful cars, and people have restored these things. But as a kid, you're like, well, those don't look nearly as cool as this one where somebody chopped the front off, and there's a big engine, and the back tires are really fat. So that was the kind of stuff that would get me inspired to draw stuff. Yeah. And I would take pictures. Like, he had a camera, and I let me borrow the camera. So I'd take pictures of the ones I thought were cool. And then sometimes go back and try to draw those or draw those even cooler, you know. Do you have a favorite car in pop culture? I, I mean, it's almost cheating to say the 60s Batmobile, but that kind of, right. it's, hard to, it's hard to beat it, but you might have something better. I, I don't know. I mean. Speed the, buggy? No. I, I mean, <laughs> even though Knight Rider is just like a Camaro. <laughs> They're, like I thought that was the coolest car ever, probably because of the light on the front. The yeah, doo -doo -doo, you know, back and forth. I had a Matchbox car, whatever, whoever made it of the James Bond Lotus. Oh yeah, with yeah. the with the little the one that went underwater. Yeah. That thing was sweet. And the what was the the Ferrari from from Miami Vice? Sure. Ferrari Testarossa. Testarossa. Yeah, with yeah. all the fins on the side. Oh my. You goodness. call those fins? I'd call those uh, vents or vents. Or, yeah. Yeah. Whatever vents on Listen, the side. Listen, fins. Like protrude, vents or slats. Vents on the side. I've been corrected. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, car man. <laughs> Listen, I just like the cool parts. I didn't, you know, I'm not an expert. I'm talking like I know. I haven't looked at a Motor Trend or car and driver in years. Yeah, I don't think I have either. We'll leave cars behind now. Yes. With a quick end. Yes. To a, to a chat on cars. We officially met at San Diego, I think like, Maybe a year or two after that yep. Chicago con. Yep. And you came and sat with us. I think you were shared you shared a table with Chris maybe? For yeah. a little while. Yeah. Yeah. Chris had contacted me before that. I think I was asking him questions because I knew he had set up at San Diego and I was emailing him questions about getting an artist alley table that year. I think that was the year I think and he shared with you and I shared with Jacob. I think that's where yeah, you knew Jacob Jacob. Someone and. else was supposed to share with him. I assume maybe Smitty, I'm not sure. It was either Smitty or Tim Smith, possibly. Yeah. So whoever it was had wasn't able to. So Chris was like, "Hey, do you want to split the table?" So I was like, "Yes, I do." So that was my first San Diego as a professional. So I experience. remember there was one sketch you just were not getting. Like there was a pose you couldn't. There's probably place. a few. <laughs> I couldn't remember. I couldn't remember if it was like the lizard. Or Venom, or Killer Croc, or Hellboy. Okay. Is any of this ringing a bell? Maybe. But I was so it was like, okay, if we're going uh, left to right. Right. No, right to left. It was you, then Chris, then me, and then yep. I, I'm pretty sure it was Jacob to yep. my left. 
and I'd, I'd gone to the bathroom or something, and I'd come back, and you were you were struggling with this pose. Right. And I'm like, give me that. Right. I don't know if you remember this. I'm like, give me give me a paper. Like, I think we'd known each other for right. 24 hours. Right. Yeah. I'm like, give me that. And I, I, I roughed the sketch out, and yeah. I handed it back to you. Is any of this ringing a bell? Yeah, I vaguely. I don't remember the details of it. I'm just. I'm always curious as to yeah. what the impression is that that leaves. It's like you know. I if I was struggling with it, I'm I'm all all about taking help. Like if somebody gives you gold, you pick it up. You know, it doesn't matter. I, I don't have an ego about that. Nobody's gonna know you did the sketch. They're gonna think That's I right. did it. So. so now, have you have you found? Do you still find yourself getting stuck on a sketch now? Like yeah, nine conventions years later? are hit or miss for me when it comes to sketching. Sometimes I do stuff. I'm like, man. I'm killing it. And it feels like weekends, like some weekends. I'm like, I'm just everyone, uh, you know, I'm pretty happy with for a convention sketch. And then other times it's usually that initial sort of gesture stage that can, you know, I don't know if it's just tiredness or atmosphere or noise and distraction level that can be at a convention is sometimes makes it difficult to sort of find that. I remember one in Seattle, I think I specifically, you did a, a pose layout for me, I forget, a lizard drawing, I think. All right, so I'm not completely yeah. wrong about the lizard. And see, this was fairly recently, a couple of years ago. Probably the like last time I ago. was in, San, in Seattle. Yeah. Last time we were both there, so yeah. that might have been 2011? I don't remember. might have been more recent than that. I don't think it was. I, don't know. I think it was 2011. Anyway. Maybe 2012 at the latest. Yeah. But you, you did like a gesture thing, and I was like, oh, that's it. That's what I'm going to use. I do remember yeah. that, yes. And I totally used it, and it was awesome. <laughs> Thanks. Now, so I, I mean, I don't do it either, but I guess you haven't gotten to a thing where just like, these are my stock poses. This is stock pose for muscle guy, stock right. pose for flying dude. I try not to, but if things aren't working out, sometimes some I kind of fall back on, on that. Yeah, I always try and bring something, yeah, some, I feel some like new I, heat. Yeah, I, and again, I'm, I'm drawing something, so I, I always feel like, oh, there's got to be the coolest way to draw this guy, especially if it's someone I haven't drawn before, you know, so... Yeah. I did a, a, a Galactus at Motor City Con, you know, a month or two ago. And it was sort of a head and shoulder shot on like a sketch cover. But I was like, oh, that was really fun. Like that worked out. Like I was really happy with the head shape and just, you know, like it turned out really well. And I don't think I've ever drawn Galactus before. So uh, not to talk about somebody else. But how about that drawing Ryan Otley did of Galactus? Was it a Chicago? Yes. Yeah. That was amazing. Like, you look at it and go, yeah, how come nobody's ever drawn him looking like this? I know. Yeah, well, I was watching him draw that. <laughs> like, we were hanging out in the hotel room sketching, and I'm doing, you know, my little sketches, and then he's doing, like, this full color, inked, colored commission that looks like it could be a cover of a comic, you know. But just the pose. I'm talking about the yeah. pose alone. Yeah, it's all dynamic. and yeah. gal- He's not Galactus. just standing there. Yeah, like he's Galactus ready to, like, crush out. stuff. Yeah. Now, when he's drawing that, do you ever think, like, how did you even... What made you even think to do this instead of what all the rest of us have done for 40 years? No, I mean, I've seen a lot of Ryan's stuff. And sure. So I kind of... I guess it's just there's such a trope with Galactus. Right. It's always him just standing and then one arm out. Right. Or one arm with like power crackling right. in it. Ryan's pretty good at sort of finding the awesome in certain things, especially like big monstery looking stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big, so, you know, Galactus isn't a monster, but he's kind of big and clunky like that. I suppose... All right, we'll stop talking about Ryan. He gets his own show. He does. That's right. <laughs> Although I think we might have talked about you. I can't remember oh, now. Oh, now I feel like I should talk about him more. No, no, e- no, don't. Because I want to talk to you about Double Vision. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really going back. We're going back. All right. Double vision for people listening. Oh, before, like, oh, yeah. I feel like we should talk about when we met some more because that's sort of a stuff said right thing. Is sure. You, you hit on, and, sure. And I, like, I was curious. I love when. Somebody who listens to the show is on because right. they they can they can come back at right. me with like hey yeah, what about that's this like thing the, you do the stuff said thing is like this is where Greg's life overlaps with your life right <laughs> like that's sort of it the recurring that theme unless that it's pops somebody up. I don't know right but if it's somebody you know yeah so I I remember meeting you I think bef- might have been the night before we were set up at the convention very possible and it was in the lobby of probably the Hyatt okay the, uh, one of the hotels. And I met Chris there, and then he introduced me to the crew. And I feel like, in my memory, one of the first things you said to me <laughs> was, oh, no. which was fine, but I was like, oh, he's he's really getting right down to it. You're like, so, like you're doing this book with Kirkman. I was working on Astounding Wolfman at the time. So would you leave that if Marvel offered you a job? And oh, did in, I say that? Yeah. And in my mind, I'm like, I know this guy used to be an editor at Marvel. So is this like his, his like, yeah, friends at Marvel. And so I'm trying to hook you up with the job or is this just like a curiosity thing? So I remember not knowing you. I was like, I'm not quite sure how I should answer this. That's a terrible thing to say to somebody for the first thing you're saying. I in apologize. my memory, I you might've said other things before that. And this, maybe this came up five hours into the evening, but in my, in my memory of it, that was pretty much our it, first conversation. It wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. It sounds like an idiotic thing to say. It was probably asked more out of curiosity. Right. Yeah. Knowing you now, I'm sure you were just I'll say curious. this. Wolfman was the first Kirkman book I read. I had not read Invincible oh. or Walking Dead before that. So I think I was sort of keen to it and I was interested, I think, in that in that world maybe. Right. Like what – because I think at that point – yeah, I, I just wasn't super familiar with the Kirkman stuff. Yeah. And yeah, that, right. it, it was purely... I was just curious if you remember that. I don't yeah. remember that. What I do remember is talking about Wolfman and talking to you about drawing his head. Yes. Drawing animal heads. Yeah, and I, yeah, I feel like I was probably complaining a bit at the time about not grasping animal head expressions as well as I wanted yeah. to, especially early in the book. I struggled with that. And then my, my feedback was watch Disney movies. Yes. I think I said Lion King and Robin Hood were yes. the two that I was like, and the Jungle Book. Yep. I was like, watch those movies. Get, yep. you know, see that art of a Lion King thing and you, you will, it'll change the way you draw animals. Yeah. I don't know if you ever did. Yeah. I, I forget which one. I remember going home <laughs> and like finding some, some of one of the movies and watching. It's amazing. Them. Yeah. Like what they're able to do with animal faces. And I remember talking to Michael Ringo about that when he was working on Telos. Oh, yeah. Where, I mean, we had a little bonding moment over talking Disney yep. movies because it was clear, like the construction and all that. Right. I mean, they 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 have it down to, right. to like. Yeah, I never got to a place where I was super happy with that aspect of it. But I think it's certainly over, you know, within the even six to ten issues. Right. I mean, I got a lot happier yeah. with where I was at, like the the fourth trade of Wolfman compared to the first trade, you know. I to was, the point where you then start drawing a T-Rex, which yeah. is far, far less expressionistic <laughs> yeah. than a, than a yeah, Wolfman. I don't know. What's what's the matter with me? <laughs> but, but you, I mean, there are expressions and dynamics. Yeah. With, I mean, that thing's got eyes on the sides of its head. Yeah, I, <laughs> I cheat that sometimes. <laughs> you have to. Yeah. It's a T-Rex with yeah. joystick arms. Yeah. I mean, come on. Uh, so yeah, I don't remember. 
saying that, and I'm and yeah. I'm a little embarrassed and ashamed to have been that way. Uh, and I probably fine. would do it again. Like, I we, know we, it's fine, but I still yeah. feel like I probably said things like that to all kinds of people. Maybe I don't know. I'm an idiot. At least there's no public record of it going out where anybody can hear that <laughs> that happened. <laughs> Let's talk so, about so double double vision. vision. Double vision was a a plot that you would get from Marvel Comics if you wanted to do samples. I don't. Yes. They probably don't do it anymore. But it's there was the a trial time, plot. Yeah, you could send a letter to Marvel and say, can you send me a plot to do pages from? Yep. And there were a few different ones. Uh, Double Vision, mm-hmm. I can tell you, because I remember when I asked for it, I was an intern at the time, and I asked specifically, which one's the hardest? Mm-hmm. Give me the hardest plot to work from, and they handed me Double Vision. Yeah. Double Vision was a plot for a comic that saw print. It was an issue of, I don't even remember, I have a copy of it, I found it. Whatever was reprinting Submariner stories. Oh, okay. It was an eight-page backup in that. It was a Vision story. The Vision from the Avengers, written by Tom DeFalco. And the legend has it, or the, the story has it, that Tom DeFalco, who used to work at Archie, under, like, was working comics where it could be a nine-panel page right. like, and fit a lot of information in. Right. Because Archie could fit a lot of information into a page, and that's how they did things. So this has a lot going on. Yes. There's different locations, yeah. different characters. It's, it takes place inside of an airplane. Right. Passenger Bay. Yeah. It, There's a lot going on. Yeah. So <laughs> we both worked on this sample plot. Yes. It's part of the thing we learned that right. probably that weekend of the, the things right. that we may or may not have had in common was we both worked on Double Vision. Yeah, I never finished it. You never finished no. it. No. But after a while, you sent me the first page so we can compare right. them. Right. It is amazing. Another testament of like how <laughs> different you can interpret a plot. I'm going right. to have to post this to the show notes because right. I think they still have your scan. All right. And just put that first page of plot in our two right. pages. Because now, why'd you stop? Why'd you stop after page one? I didn't like how it was turning out. And you didn't start over? No, I I feel like I maybe redrew page one a couple times. <laughs> like I know that airport shot. Yeah. I remember like getting reference on you know I don't know what airport it was in the script, but whatever airport it was, probably one in New York. So right. But I remember like getting reference and like I'm like I've never drawn like a plane before, like a real plane to make it look real and you know, it's like all this pressure. Sample pages are the worst. I just wanna say that whole system, I'm glad it's not a system anymore. How many samples had you done before that double vision? Was that the first first shot of the game? Oh no. I had done a lot. But usually I would just say because how I got the script is I would you know, I remember doing one where I said, all right, what would be cool? I like drawing Cable. He's cool. Oh, Iron Man, he doesn't have a face. That's easy to draw. <laughs> so I'm going to do Iron Man fighting Cable, and I'm going to draw four or five pages of Iron Man fighting Cable, and then that those are my samples. So I don't know if it was those pages or some other ones. I think Wolverine might have shown up at the end of that because <laughs> I wanted to draw Wolverine, you know. But some set of sample pages I had sent into Marvel, and then in the self-addressed stamped envelope, I got this plot that said, hey, how about you try working from this? So to me, it was a like an encouraging thing. Like, of course. oh, holy crap, I got actually got something back more than just the form rejection letter, which I have stacks of those in a box Absolutely. from every company, you know, and all that stuff. What's the weirdest company you sent something to? I don't know about the weirdest. Or I like remember- the one that's just like... Oh, yeah, that was a company. Like, I sent letters of inquiry for an internship at Techno Comics. Oh, my. No, I <laughs> yeah. never sent them anything. <laughs> I have stuff from Malibu yeah. Comics, uh, CrossGen, you know. Yeah, see, I, never, I, was, I was already at Marvel when CrossGen okay. was starting up. 
Yeah, I had met Bart Sears at a convention at a like cross-gen portfolio review. And I was a little farther along at that point. He was very positive and he was like, I don't know stylistically if you'll fit here, but your stuff's really good. Here's my card. Send nice. me stuff. I'll I'll look at it. That's so I sent him stuff and then he would send it back with like red marker like over the areas where I'd drawn things. And you had a lot of that, right? Because even, yeah. even uh, Brian Stelfreed yeah, was that giving was years you like, real before feedback. That. Yeah, that you Brian must have, You really... must have had some promise as a, as a youngster, man. <laughs> Holy smokes. Those were the two main ones. Like Brian kind of early on sort of turned me onto the path, I guess. But I mean, looking now, somebody would have to really show something for you to give them that kind of attention. I mean, I, I try to at conventions... Like if I'm doing a portfolio review and especially if someone feels like, oh, they're maybe a couple steps away or they're, they're certainly show promise, you know, I'll get out a scrap piece of paper and do little, you know, oh, I would have, you know, this panel, it's a good idea, but it's like really boring. What if you laid it out this way? Or what if you just tweak this this way? You know, just sort of trying to open their eyes to thinking about things a little different, you know. But are you about to have were. like full correspondences with people? No, I mean, I've gotten emails from people and given them stuff, but yeah. I, it's, that's what I mean. Like, yeah. somebody would have to really show some, yeah. like, they meant it for you to give that. Yeah. What I'm saying, that's the point is, you must have really been showing some chops or passion or something. Something. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so, you, so you'd worked a bunch of plots. Yeah. Samples are the worst. Continue. Yes, samples are the worst. I, I don't know how, at some point... I sort of realized I have done enough three and four page sample pages <laughs> that I could have, I've got almost like a three or four issue mini series here. If I had just picked <laughs> a character of my own and done a story of my own, I could publish a comic or two, you know, and instead I have, you know, I, I would do sample pages of just stuff I want to draw. So I have like sample pages of Electro, the Spider-Man villain. <laughs> sure. Fighting a character I created myself because I thought, oh, I want this character, but Electro's cool. He's got electricity powers. And then I did sample pages of the Savage Dragon, but I really wanted to draw Dodge Viper. So I had some bad guys <laughs> pull up in a very realistically drawn Dodge Viper, and then Savage Dragon jumped down. And then, this is embarrassing. So in the Savage Dragon comics, his girlfriend had electricity powers, and she was black. And I had electricity power. So I'm like, oh, electricity powers. I must have had a thing for that. I'm going to draw her. But I couldn't get her to look ethnically <laughs> correct. So uh, I converted her into a Caucasian person, but with the same costume. <laughs> and it, I was showing these samples. And just some random artist at a convention was apparently read the Savage Dragon and was like, now, this character, that's not how she really looks. Isn't she black in the comics and her hair looks this way? I was like, yeah, I didn't know how to draw that, so I just drew her this way. And so I got a bit of a lecture on, well, if you don't know how to draw it, that's your cue to learn how to draw it, not just not draw it. Better know? that than to be like, uh, are you a giant racist? that you <laughs> right. Yeah, looking back, I'm like, oh, that does... Uh, <laughs> At least they took the artistic approach. At least they it. asked, right? Yes. They asked why, and you could because I wonder if right. the, in the question was like, you do realize, and waiting right. for you to go, I won't like just right. some horrible. Right. I can't no. even say it because I don't even want to say it, lest right. somebody pull a clip. Right. No, it was just a, a lack of skill. You launch and end up working with Robert Kirkman. Yes. On the Astounding Wolfman. Yes. And Super Dinosaur. Yes. All right. We're gonna sort of condense a lot of stuff. Yes. Both of these books had huge launches. 
Yes. Wolfman, especially, was a free comic book day yeah, issue. That Super was Dinosaur awesome. also, right? Yeah, it had it launched. The first in, issue came out and then this free comic then, book. Then yeah, then like an origin story. But like Wolfman, they were like events. Yeah. Big launch events. Set yeah. Super Dinosaur had a costume yeah. dude. Yeah. Some crazy costume dude. But both of these series, for various reasons, had it had it met an end. They ended their runs. Yes. How frustrating is that? Um, in light of, and maybe this is me doing like a bit of projection, but you know, something like Invincible is that right. issue one hundred and blah blah blah. Walking right. Dead is a is a monster. Right. Like there's a there's and and I talked to Paul as I said it. I'm like, right. all right, are you geared up? Are you ready to right. to ride the train? Right. To to stardom. Which that, isn't to say these right. books weren't successful, but is it frustrating to be like what the f? And do you put any of that like do you mm. are you self hating enough that you you put it on yourself? Not. I guess there's a couple questions there. Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, I um, loaded it up. Yeah, you did. <laughs> Sorry. So, not I guess I don't feel frustrated that you know I'm not still drawing Astounding Wolfman for okay, example. Okay, good. You know I, I like I always felt looking in like from the outside like my perfect book to draw would be that low tier selling book at Marvel that nobody cares about that is gonna let me work on it for a couple years and sort of work out my chops. Look, I know your dream book. Yeah. It's solo. Well, you know, maybe someday. <laughs> <laughs> I did have, Greg for the listeners I knows that I was putting together a solo pitch <laughs> years and years ago because I thought that would be an amazing book to draw a guy with guns who teleports all over the place. I cut out that whole explanation. <laughs> just, have it, just leave it. Just leave it as me right. mentioning solo and we move on. So, yeah, I guess it's a little like, you know, I, I always felt like I wanted that book I could start out on and sort of, I knew I would have a lot to learn, you know? Yeah. And you all, you would see artists who would start on books and get better. And it's true, because you went sort of like from the pact to... Yeah, Wolfman. I went from like, I drew, you know, and I'd done some indie comic stuff, but nothing where I had a long run on yeah. books. It was like, here's an issue, or here's a 10-page story, or here's this... And it was always spread out over time. And so jumping into Wolfman, it was like, oh, here's a thing where now I have to figure out how to do a page every day. Right. Like, oh, my goodness. And I was pretty confident with what I could do given time. I'm pretty good at sort of refining things to make them good if you give me enough time. And even then I felt like if I have, you know, a week, I can do an awesome page if I spend a week on it. You know, I wasn't spending a week on it, but, you know, in theory... So I, I felt when Wolfman launched, I felt like a lot of more people are going to see this first issue, which will probably be one of the worst issues because I'm sure I will get better as things go. And you feel a little it's some double edged sword. Yeah. I mean, and not in like a negative, oh, I'm so bad way, but just in a realistic way, like I was doing the best work I was capable of, but I just knew at all, you know, in my career of trying to get into comics, you could always look back and see, oh, I'm way better than I was. So you're like, oh, a year from now, after drawing comics every month, I'm going to be way better than I am now. But the way I know sales typically go on books, they're going to go a certain direction. Then with Wolfman, the first issue being free, I forget what the print run was, but it was like something like 120,000 copies of that You know, were printed, maybe 110. So, I mean, that's a lot of comics on something that's basically your first major <laughs> comics work. You know, I was very aware of that as I was doing it. That's good, because I didn't yeah. realize that until you were describing it now. Yeah. yeah. That's right. That's insane. Yeah. 
But, you know, I'm sure you want everything you work on to be like a crazy success and you do your first book and it sells all this stuff and you're, you know, you have things, you're making tons of money and, you know, super popular. But I wasn't really expecting that, but I was hoping to have a consistent run where I could really learn how to make comics on a schedule, like make comics with art that I was generally happy with in a monthly or monthly-ish fashion, which I knew I just wouldn't learn unless I actually was doing it. And so Wolfman provided me that. And it also, you know, Robert and I have a pretty good relationship. And so a chance to work with him on that stuff. And by the end of it, yeah, I was ready to draw different stuff. You <laughs> sure. know, like 25 issues, that's a lot. And yeah. while I like the book and we talk sometimes about maybe doing more stuff someday or whatever, but 25 issues... It, for anybody else except someone who works with Robert, that's a long time. Yeah. Now, with him, it's like, well, Charlie's drawn 100-some issues of Walking Dead, and Ryan's drawn 100 issues of Invincible. 25, eh, you're just getting started, <laughs> you know. So it, there is a little bit of that there, but, you know, I don't know. It's it's all right. I'm okay with it. I want to talk about Super Dinosaur in a different capacity, which is Super Dinosaur is a book that was intended for younger readers yes it was in, its initial intention that was at genesis and as we talked before we started recording any kid that read super especially any boy that read super dinosaur loves it they right. think it's awesome my nephew read it he right. thought it was awesome right your kids don't even read comics but they like super dinosaur yeah. their friends like it yeah that's a pretty good sample yeah <laughs> six kids yeah. but the point is it's it is a clearly targeted thing right and it hits that mark when it hits that mark right yeah, I have tons of kids at conventions that are the age for it that come up and are exactly what you would expect a super excited kid to be. They're like, oh, you remember that one part where he did this and then they said that and he said, I brought missiles and da da da, you know, and all like they're just like going on and on. I'm like, I do remember that part, you know. <laughs> they're, they're like, it's a little Chris Farley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember that time? Yeah, it's exactly like that. That was awesome. Yeah. So, but yeah. I want to talk about that experience, the convention okay. experience especially, and the fan exchange and all that, because, and this is a little bit of projection. I will admit, I'll, I'll cop to that out of the gate. All right. When you're, when you're working on stuff that is for kids, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to call it all ages, it's for kids, right. it's a very different experience interacting with fans and other pros. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've experienced that, where you're at a convention and a lot of times you're sitting next to Ryan, right. who's drawing Invincible, which yes. is not for kids. Right. Every month it's less for kids. <laughs> yes. Seems to be <laughs> heading down that road. But, you know, the interactions are inherently different. Mm-hmm. I feel like the reactions you get, and, I, and admittedly this is from me working on SpongeBob comics and things, the reactions you get from other pros I felt is different. Like, oh, you work on that stuff. Right. Were you feeling that? And... Did that ever get frustrating? Because you also are friends with, you know, you right. you have like a little coffee clatch with Scotty Young and right. who also sort of folds back and forth. Right. Or, or Ryan or other, you know, Ryan Stegman, all these right. guys who are doing mainstream, quote unquote, popular work. Right. Um, that, yeah. I mean, I still had, you know, Wolfman work out. So like when I do conventions, I still tons of Wolfman fans who really love the book and come up and talk or get sketches or buy stuff. But there is, I don't don't know how to word it best. I mean, I feel a little bit, and not in a negative way, but working on a book like that, maybe career-wise, you're a little more invisible in the direct market. And so that results in things like, you know, art sales, for example, 
not a huge market, you know, for art sales on, say, Super Dinosaur compared to Astounding Wolfman. In my mind, you know, I won, I, I, and again, maybe this is me projecting, but I feel like people look at your current work as what you're capable of. And there's not necessarily a memory of your past work where they can say, oh, this person has a range that they could do, so they might be appropriate for this project or that project because I see in their past they've done stuff like this. And I could contact them and say, hey, we have a book like this. Could you do stuff that's appropriate for that? I don't necessarily think they're wrong to think that because who has time in a business world to sort of research every artist and know their past and know their history? You just see what's in your face. You're like, oh, that guy draws like that. That's what he wants to draw. I, I can't use that. This guy I can use. So I feel there is a little bit on sort of a book for younger readers, and especially if it's drawn in a style that maybe looks like it's for younger readers, which I was, you know, I wanted something very accessible with Super Dinosaur. I wanted a kid to be able to see it and clearly see everything and really simple, you know, storytelling and all that stuff. That's great, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I do feel a little bit in the direct comics market right now, which, you know, they're... Uh, kids' books aren't the big sellers. So there's not a lot of demand for that kind of art, and so I do feel a little bit like I oh, kind of are a little invisible on that stuff. That said, like the plus side for me is like my kids love the book. I, I've got four trades of a book that I did basically for my kids, you know, and I'm okay with that. You know, I don't need to be in the limelight. You know, like I kind of knew going in this is either going to be a huge thing or it's going to be not a huge thing. And, you know, Robert and I both wanted to do a book that was something we could give to our kids and, you know, kind of have some have some fun and, you know, do the kind of stuff that we, we loved as kids, I guess. Did you ever find any any sense of, I'm trying to find the right word for it, odd vibe or curious response from other pros? Like if you were put in a convention next to somebody who didn't quite right. know you? I mean, usually, you know, you say the title of the book and people might kind of chuckle, you yeah. know, and then once they kind of knew the concept, it was either like, oh, that's cool. Or they'd really be into it and be like, well, you know, T-Rex with robot arms, that's the best thing ever kind of right. approach. So, you know, I feel like a lot of comic book pros, no matter what they work on, we're all maybe a little more in touch with our kid self than the average person, you know? Yeah. So I, I don't know if I ever felt that. All right, good. No. Yeah. I was always just curious. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think I've necessarily gotten that from the SpongeBob stuff, but there's yeah. certainly, nobody's necessarily dismissive, but people are certainly less, I have found sometimes people are less curious or interested. Yeah. Like they, they instantly know what it is. Like there's a right. presumption that they know what it is. Right, exactly. Like, oh, you do that. Okay. Right. Yeah, and there are people who will come up and be like, oh, I loved Wolfman. I haven't really read Super Dinosaur. <laughs> it's not for me. And that's fine. Like, yeah. it might not be for them. You know, the tone is very different than Astounding Wolfman was. And, and Trees is very different yeah, from... very different from both of them. Both of those, yeah. Yes. So you're, you're becoming like a character actor. I guess. <laughs> hey, character actors work, man. Yeah, they never I mean, stop working. I, I do try to think about, like, I love style in art. Like, all the artists I loved, you know, sort of growing up all had a pretty distinctive style. And so I do, while well, I draw the way I draw... I do like experimenting with style and keeping things fresh and exciting and learning. And I do try to give consideration and design time when starting a book. Um, I didn't so much with Wolfman because I just, I wasn't capable of that at the time. 
but like with super dinosaurs pretty specific in sort of the style kind of the way drawing it that way and with trees again you know i was sort of naturally my sketchbook stuff was had been that way for a while and uh I sort of tried to develop that into something that i felt would fit a book that was not a kid's book and maybe had a more grown-up story or more gritty world and that kind of stuff with texture yeah yeah in terms of artists that you like and influences there's a shot in the dark is larry yeah. stroman one of them a little bit yeah okay yeah yeah i like larry's stuff um i discovered it with the image book tribe oh really so you didn't see the x factor i went back. went back yeah so i was kind of right before the image stuff is when i was really getting into comics from an art place you know like knowing who everybody was and you know todd mcfarlane rob liefeld jim lee on their big marvel books right before they left and yeah. started image and then anybody who was doing an image book so i Dale Kuhn did Pitt, and then sure. I'd go back and find the Hulk, the Hulk stuff. stuff and be like, oh, he was even awesome back then, <laughs> yeah. you know? And same thing with Larry Stroman, did like the one or two issues of Tribe, and then like, oh, he did other stuff, and then go back and get the, the X Factor stuff. Did you go as far back as Alien Legion? No, okay. no. I knew he drew it, but I never I never picked that up. Yeah, I just, your work is certainly the, even the older stuff is quite graphic, like graphic, not in like violent, or, but just right. there's a graphic design Bent, which makes sense because you came from an art right, director, that, graphic design place. Right. And when I think of that, I think of certainly Larry Stroman. Mm. It's less obvious, I think, but you know, Walt Simonson oh. certainly has that kind of thing. Where like, and my, and Mignola also. I'll take all three of those. <laughs> I mean, I don't. I mean, I'm assuming these right. are people that maybe fed into. Yeah, I mean, less Simonson, although I love his stuff. Well, he was kind of more of a later discovery, kind of through hearing Eric Larson say, oh, right. he really likes Simonson. Then you're like, oh, clearly With he Eric really Larson, likes... you can see it. Yeah, yes, yeah. you can see it in his work. But yeah, Mignola was a big one. Yeah, I would say Simonson's less obvious yeah. as a thing. I'm just saying he's another guy that works yeah. in a very graphic fashion. Yeah. Mignola, I think it's 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 a much cleaner... You can yeah. see the, the yeah, pieces. Yeah, he was a very early guy. What era of him? Was it pre-Hellboy? Like, yeah. Was it going as far back as Cosmic Odyssey? No, it okay. was... Well, I discovered him. He did a fill-in on X-Force. Yes. Was it number so, eight, I yeah, think? I think so. It's it, awesome. It is amazing. <laughs> so good. And Liefeld like, posted layouts he did once that Mike worked from Rob's layouts. Oh, really? And I Rob's layouts that. are like really solid. And Mike's stuff over it, uh, that issue blew my mind at the time. Because I loved... It's the best cable thing yeah, to I, ever happen. It is. <laughs> I loved Rob's stuff. I was all about that. And then Mike's stuff, even though it was like the exact opposite, I loved that even more. So it was amazing. So that kind of put him on my radar as like, oh, you got to watch for this guy. But then it's like trying to find what he'd worked on. And pre-internet time, it wasn't as easy to sort of track down. Some of his older stuff, Cosmic Odyssey, Baffert and the Gray Mouse. Yeah, I ended up picking up that trade. So cool. I still have that out. You know, that's a, that's a that's book. That's P. Craig Russell inking them, right? I think. Is it? Uh, no, it's a. Uh, I feel like it's who who inked Spider Man twenty ninety nine. Rick Leonardi. No, he penciled it. He penciled so, it. That's um, right. Uh, an old school guy inked it. Um, Al Williamson. You, it might have been Al Williamson. And yeah. what did P. Craig Russell ink of his? It was something. Maybe he did, but in in my mind, it's Al Williamson. But Maybe P. I, Craig Russell was Gotham by Gaslight. I don't know. And we're not looking it up because we're no, using our brains. No, we're not. I want to talk about the what I'm going to call the Scotty Young coffee clatch. Okay. 
Scotty Young is on Skype. He has group Skype. Yeah. I pop in every now and again, but it's always just you and him. Yeah. I know there are stories of other people showing up. Yeah. Jake Parker showed up once. Yeah. Jake's pretty regular, but how did that how did that become how did that become? <laughs> that how'd you like how I rephrased yes, it? <laughs> that that became so I met Scotty through Ryan Stegman. So Ryan okay. Stegman is local to me. So we had become friends just through living near each other and realizing, oh, we both drew comics. And so he... Was this Ryan Stegman when he was drawing She-Hulks or Ryan Stegman post-She-Hulks? That, that you met no, him? it would have been... Well, when I kind of met him and we were hanging out, it might have been pre-She-Hulks. Okay. He, yeah, it was he was doing... Um, I think Fred Van Lenthe was not Thor, Hercules, Herc, oh, the okay. Herc book. So you've seen his like full yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, evolution, yeah. dynamic change. Yep. That's interesting. Okay. Yep. So he was doing that stuff. And then he, I don't recall you know, how, but somehow he had become friends with Scotty. And then we were at Doesn't a, everybody become friends with Scotty? Eventually, Scotty's <laughs> a pretty friendly guy. He is. So I was joking with him at... At a convention recently, we were walking around and everybody was saying hi to him because he knows like everybody. So I was like, listen, you're going to have to start wearing a mask just so we can walk around and look at people's artwork without it taking three hours to walk through Artist Alley. That's like walking with Jim Dimonacos. Yeah. I can't imagine if the two of them walked down. They they wouldn't make it five anywhere. So so I met Scotty at a convention through Ryan. And then it was a small show here in Michigan, so there wasn't a lot of other artists there, and the show wasn't super busy, so we ended up hanging out quite a bit over the weekend and talking. And then, I don't recall, some point after that, we would talk on the phone occasionally, and then at some point, we just jumped on Skype, and then it just started becoming a fairly regular thing, where now, I mean, for the past couple of years, it's been most afternoons, I'll jump on Skype and we'll be on together for, you know, two, three hours in the afternoon. And just like a virtual studio. Yeah. Just have it on in the background. We're both working and we might be talking specifically about something in depth or we might just be drawing and it's silent for a while. Or sometimes we'll have a podcast playing that we're both listening to that's at the same weird. time. And then we'll pause it and we'll be like, can you believe he said that? Or, oh, that's really cool. Or have you read that book? You know, just, I don't know. Like it's, Again, it's almost like having somebody on the cubicle wall across from you where there's like people there and you can kind of just talk into the ether and somebody responds and it does help feel a little less like you're sort of all up in your own head, sitting in your basement doing this stuff and does anybody see it? And then sometimes when you're making kind of career decisions, you know, it's nice to have another artist that has a perspective outside your own to sort of bounce things off of and, you know, kind of. You're talking about story stuff on creator-owned books, and you can kind of kick ideas back and forth. And you know, I don't know. It's it's been a really, just aside from the friendship part of it, it's been a really nice, like I don't know, job thing to sort of make work enjoyable and also make better. I think better business choices. It's so, interesting. I, I, I didn't realize that there were moments where you guys just sat there were like listening to podcasts together. Yeah. Because yeah. I mean, you know, I pop on every now and again. And yeah, well, usually when you're on, it's somebody new to talk to, so we're probably pretty talkative. <laughs> but just it's like uh, there there are times, and it's not just with you two. There right. are times where I'm just like, am I just am I just talking? Right. And everybody's just li- like, right. am I holding court and putting on like a private podcast for people? Well, that's fine. <laughs> but it often turns out to just me me and Scotty end up talking. Yeah. And then you're like, I'm gonna go pick up my kid, and you yeah. disappear for 20 minutes yeah. and come back. Yeah. But 
I guess that's that's the dynamic. I didn't know what it was because yeah. you know you see on social media people say like, "Hey, I was on Skype. Where were you?" And I don't know right. how big the web gets. Right. Like, if there's ever a point where it's you and Scotty and Jake Parker and Ryan Otley and Derek been, Hunter and yes, there's been all those people really? at the same time. Yes. When does that happen? Just okay. Like it's not infrequent. Like that must I, be insane. Yeah, but not everybody's talking at the same time, and you know sometimes like like if you're on and you were you and Scotty are arguing about comedians or whatever, <laughs> you know like it's pretty entertaining for me to just sit there and draw, and I don't have to like jump in on the conversation. I can just listen to two people share their opinions, and you know it's pretty fun. And what about when we start talking about Survivor though? That has to yeah, that's different. a little boring. <laughs> if I'm not if I'm not into watching, you know I don't know what's happening this season. You know you're just talking about stuff I don't know. Might as well be the different language, right? But yeah, sometimes there's a pretty big group. You know, we'll get a wide variety of people. And if know. there's ever a huge variety, I want to know, and I, I just want to like pop in and not. I just want to try and listen. Yeah, I'm gonna sometimes tr- do an experiment. Try not to talk for. Sometimes once. things slow down a bit. You know, when you yeah. get a big group of people on. Oh, the idea, yeah, the connection will be just. Yeah. Like, oof. Then maybe don't worry about it. You've worked with primarily Robert Kirkman mm-hmm. and Warren Ellis, mm-hmm. big names. Mm-hmm. But you you do your own thing. You've done Sea Bear. Yes. Which is combined with the Grizzly Shark. Yes. And then you did Code Blue. I did. <laughs> which were backups in Wolfman, right? Yeah. Yeah, the last few issues of Wolfman, they were backup stories. So this is going to spin into two separate things. All right. The first is I want to talk about Code Blue, which okay. I actually didn't even see it until you sent it to me because I was buying Wolfman Trade. Oh, okay. Yeah, they're just in the singles. Yeah. And I remember one of the comments I gave you about Wolfman was like you had these huge balloons with like yeah. a lot of text. In. <laughs> yeah, in code blue. Yeah. In code blue. Yeah. What did I say? Wolfman. Oh, and then right. code blue. And that's that is something that Kirkman does. Like yeah. they'll have a big balloon with a lot of yeah. information he's uploading. But I got the impression that code blue was is a bigger story. Yeah. In your mind, it's a thing you've had. Yeah. And you were trying to upload as much information as you could yeah. in a very uh, concise amount of yeah. space. Yeah, Robert's comment about that story, he's like, I don't know if this was him just trying to be nice. Like, He's like, I like that you tried to do a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, thanks. Well, so I guess that's the question. Yeah. Is is What was your takeaway from that? It was four parts or five? It was four it was supposed to be four four-page backups. The last one ended up being six pages, I think, because I just needed a couple. So you extra essentially pages. wrote a, a full issue. Of, yeah, like pretty a, much a, pilot, a single issue. Single yeah. issue. Yeah. But you were breaking it up. Yeah. And that's its own dynamic. Yeah, and I wanted a little, you know, nice little cliffhangery endings and you know, all that stuff. It's a lot to do. Yeah. For yeah. Four four-page stories, like you hear. You know, old school guys talk about, oh, back in the day, you know, we had to do this. Or you know, I listened to a Mark Miller interview the other day, and he was talking about, like, 2000 AD, when he was starting out, he had to write, like, three-page stories or whatever, and how really taught him all this stuff. And I can totally see that. Cause, it teaches a certain efficiency yeah, and it's like use get, of space. Get to the point. <laughs> and looking back at that now, it was a learning experience. So, so what, what did you learn? What were your takeaways? Because that was really the first thing you were writing, too, in a, yeah. in a professional capacity. Right. Yeah, I, I have notebooks full of stuff I've written, but nothing that's ever come out before. So, yeah, that was some of the first stuff. I mean, I, I learned that I needed to be maybe get to the point more, and then maybe for impact's sake, it would have been smarter to simplify the story I was trying to tell 
because that was a complicated story. Yeah, it was very, like people were switching sides <laughs> like four times. They're, you think they're good, but they're bad. But they're really good, but then they're bad again. It was and, super ambitious. Yeah. I mean, I got to give you. I like give in you my mind, credit. in my mind, it was all clear. But sort of the execution of it, I had to cut out stuff that I wanted to tell to fit the four-page story. So yeah, it was very. Um, a smarter thing at the time would have been to simplify the story rather than sort of try to pack it in and Build cut the out world. yeah cut out stuff that maybe was necessary to make it as clear as it could have been i think that's a very common thing though i think we we spend so much time in our heads and we build these right. very elaborate and we just want everyone to know yeah how cool this thing is right. without giving it all away right and you see that in in comics where you're like you read it you're like i feel like there's something cool there I'm sure in the writer's mind, it's way awesome, but that didn't make it into the comic. Yeah. Or you'll read a comic that's decent, but then you'll listen to the, a writer talk in an interview, and it sounds amazing, and you're like, none of that awesome stuff was in your comic. Like, I love what you said. Well, just take that and put that in your comic, because yeah. I totally did not get that. I remember early on when I was doing samples, the dreaded samples, one of the things that I might have talked about this on the show in the past, but one of the things I would do is, is in college, I would have one of my roommate's girlfriends look at the pages mm. and just tell her if she could, yeah, what's happening. I right. want you to narrate what's right. happening. And if she could do it, right. I was satisfied with yeah. the pages. If she couldn't, I was like, hey, I did something wrong. Yeah. yeah. And you know, you still fall into it because you want to try things and right. try storytelling tricks yeah. and stuff, but it's, it's, uh, it's hard. And especially <laughs> if you're trying to cover time, you know, you're like, all right, I want, time to pass between each panel well then you it's hard to set that up with pictures only you kind of need the words to help show Although that there is a real simple way to do it in comics a little boxes later yeah exactly <laughs> well that's words though that's what i'm saying yeah but i'm saying you can do it real efficient yeah. and say two hours later right. or three days later right. and you've you've jumped time yeah in the code blue i remember trying to do it with rain so it was like it wasn't raining and then in the next panel it was raining so i'm like ah see how clever i am it's like it's too raining clever. now too clever by half yeah. because like oh it just started raining yeah i know <laughs> so so something you said in another podcast and it definitely struck a nerve in in an interesting not like right. oh i'm so mad it's just like it struck a maybe nerve is the wrong word all right struck a heartstring all right uh, is you talked about how you sort of broke in later in your in your life. I mean, you had a, right. a career before you had yeah. this career. Yeah. And you started in creator owned. I think it was a question of like, would you want to draw? Right. Whatever, whatever. Right. Batman or right. Solo or something. Right. Grifter. Right. I mean, like Grifter. Oh, too. Grifter. Oh man. <laughs> if somebody at DC is listening, <laughs> Grifter's like my dream book. I don't know why. Can't imagine many people say that, but I will say I did tell Smitty. Yeah. When he was in his last days at DC, I'm like, listen, <laughs> and he likes your work. Yeah, that was another weird sort of cool yeah, like well, thing of in the world where yeah. you knew Smitty before you knew any of us. Yeah, yeah. just through samples. Yeah. yeah, speaking of the samples you hate so much. Speaking of them, yeah. uh, but I told him like, listen, if you ever have a Grifter cover you need done, Jason will do it, man. He'll probably do it for free. <laughs> I might. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, somebody else had their hand on that book. Yeah, that's all right. Yeah, you talked about how. You know, as as we get older, right? And you and I are about the same age. I think you're a smidge older than me, but not by bit. much. A smidge. It's not a contest. Let's not say numbers. Yeah, we won't say numbers. That I makes think, it I think real. At this point, everybody knows how old so. I am. I talk about it too much because it's clearly becoming an issue. Right. 
But you talk about how there's fewer pages ahead of you yeah. than yeah. than are behind you, and you how you're going to choose your projects and right. that sort of thing. And you do have things you you have you said you have notebooks of stories. Right. So how do you even start to approach that? Like how do you? Because I think about that stuff. Right. I have my list of stories that I want to get to, and I'm finally now starting to self-publish right. and think like, but it's so much work. Right. Um, I mean, some of it is just in the projects you choose or I choose. Like, you know, like I had a pretty developed story that was kids and robots. I'm not saying I might never want to tell that kind of story again, but, you know, Super Dinosaurs really scratched the kids and robots itch for me <laughs> for a while. So maybe that other story I had, you know, there would be elements of that that I would just work into Super Dinosaur into the designs of things. So that's, maybe I didn't do that exact thing, but the things that I, a lot of my stories come from a place of what do I want to draw? <laughs> so that aspect of it, that was sort of, addressed in super dinosaur so other stories are like i want to do a john woo gun story john woo movie gun comic someday of course you, you know do a gun comic yeah you know i don't i don't know is so, punisher on your list of favorites too no not interesting no i mean not that i would be against you know solo and grifter yeah they're cooler right <laughs> the punisher punisher's like an old dude i've never been a huge know. gun guy guy yeah but i mean i don't know like yeah and it's not that I have a big desire to do, like, I'm like, oh, if I never do Grifter, I'm going to feel like it was disappointing. Um, I just think it's a really cool looking character. Sure, sure. You know, out of all the 90s sort of design characters, felt like he had something really awesome with that mask. And I don't yeah, know. I don't, I don't mean really to striking. keep hitting the Grifter solo yeah. button. It's just a funny button. Yeah, it is. We all have our things. I'm hey. not... Yeah. I can say Spider-Man. I like Spider-Man, too, and everybody likes that. So, you know. Look, I, I say Power Pack and Wonder Man. Yeah. So, and the Creeper. Thing. I like the Creeper. Yeah. But anyway, let's talk about getting older. Yeah. So. <laughs> let's go down this road. Yeah. <laughs> so, hopefully I have more pages ahead of me than behind, but I mean, certainly I'm aware that I'm not in my early 20s getting started in comics where you feel like, oh, I have all this time and I can just do whatever. And then at some point when I'm older, I can make smart decisions, you know, <laughs> like I feel like I'm already kind of at that place where I want to make smart decisions now. I don't want to waste, you know, a few years doing forgettable books. Now it's money and it pays bills. So not that it would be a waste, but I want to have a bookshelf of books that I've worked on. And, you know, ideally, you know, a lot of creator owned stuff that I've worked on and developed and, that's the stuff I kind of was super inspired by to get into comics was everybody making their own thing. I, I read comics, but once I really wanted to get into comics, it was like all the people doing, you know, Spawn and Savage Dragon and, you know, all that stuff that is like, oh, yeah, that's what you do when you make comics is you kind of do your own. So, I mean, yeah, is, I, it, is it something that, that you know, because you mentioned it in this podcast, and I was like, that's interesting. I wonder if yeah. it's something you think about a lot or not. Yeah, I mean... I try to think about it from a place of like like what I want to look back on having done. And you can't you don't you know, I can't always do exactly what I want. Sure, best but, laid plans. Yeah, but that. you wanna try to I feel like I wanna be in a position where I'm at least trying to make smart decisions and like being proactive for stuff rather than just waiting for somebody to offer me something. Sure. You know, just to sit back and say, Well, whatever comes, I guess I'll take that. <laughs> And then who knows what it'll be, and then you're kind of at the full mercy of other people because you've put yourself in that position, and 
you know, I want to be a little more proactive and choose projects that are with writers that I actually would want, you know, really like and want to read their books, even if I'm not drawing it. And ideas and concepts that I feel like, oh, this is something that, you know, I can get behind or I'm really into. And drawing comics is super fun, but it's also, you know, a lot of hours at the drawing table. It's a job. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, as a comic fan, you sometimes see or hear like older school comic guys who maybe get have gotten a little bitter about things. And I don't want to end up like that. And I don't know if that comes from sort of letting yourself become too much of a cog in the machine and not taking enough control over your career um, or if it's a personality thing or whatever. But I try to stay positive and I want to be in a position where I'm making decisions and doing books that I really want to do. So in terms of making those decisions and working smarter, as we'll say, yeah. which is which is nice because it sort of comes yeah, back to your, all coming back around. Your, your, your efficiency skill right. set. Do you find yourself less willing or less likely to, to take bigger risks in that regard? So, for example, you're picking your, your shots more carefully. Right. Quote-unquote smarter. Is it the sort of thing that goes, well, I'd want to do Code Blue right. in a in a original graphic novel, right. 300 pages. That's a huge risk. Right. There's a chance this thing fails miserably and I'm out three yeah. years worth of, of right. income, blah, blah, blah. Right. It's a thing on the shelf. It's created on something you did right. completely. Like, how do you balance those aspects of, of working smarter, but, right. but satisfying whatever your personal itches are? Yeah. I mean, it's, that kind of gets into the question of sort of like putting on your marketing hat a little bit too, like the business side and trying to finding that balance between create or hopefully the, the place where they merge perfectly, where you're doing something that you're creatively inspired by and also happens to be marketable enough to do well in the market. So, you know, you can pay your bills and all that. And ultimately like I have a family, I have kids, I have a family. This is, you know, my job. So I have to make decisions that make me money. Otherwise, Responsible choices. Yeah. I won't be able to do it. So like right now, a code blue graphic novel, well, there's some appeal to that. It wouldn't make me any money. I wouldn't be happy. The kids would be unfed. The wife would be angry. My life would not be a place that I would want to be involved in. So, yeah, there's a slim chance it could be the next big thing, you know, and blow out all expectations. But realistically, that's probably not a choice I'm going to make. Yeah. But having the opportunity to work on a book with Warren and do something that's this really cool science fiction book that feels like, oh, I'm really in, like Warren's one of my favorite writers. So like creatively, it's something I'm really into. And I feel like today's comic market, something like Trees should probably do pretty well. You know, when we were first talking about it, I'm like, oh, that feels like a pretty cool concept. And I could see people kind of getting on board with that, right? You know, kind of where where the comic industry is. And I love like looking at industry numbers, like every month I'm, you know, looking at the sales numbers that come out and seeing, you know, what books sold and what indie books sell and just kind of seeing what types of books are popular. And I don't know, that kind of, the numbers side of my head likes that kind of stuff, so. But really, if somebody at Marvel and DC called you and asked you to draw something for them, you, you, would you leave the book you're working on now? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wouldn't. <laughs> Full circle. Yep, all the way back around. No, this I. Our, this is our last conversation <laughs> ever. <laughs> ever. Now that I've recorded, I'm just gonna play it over and over again. 
Those are, those are all yeah. perfectly acceptable answers. Yeah. I don't disagree yeah. with any of them. I um, I mean, there are books at Mar, as we've said, at both Marvel and DC that I'd be like, oh, that would be, well, sure. you know, I would love to do that someday. I'd love to have a trade, a Spider-Man trade on my shelf. But realistically speaking, right? Well, where I'm at right now, I'm doing the book I want to do with the writer I want to do it in a situation that I'm really happy with. So. Right. Sure, yeah, money talks. Somebody could back up a truck, and I would be irresponsible to turn down a truck full of money. But in normal... That's what you have to do in exchange for that money. Yeah, in normal in normal business terms, yeah, right now I'm, I'm right where I want to be. Um, and, just, and just so it's, it's clear, I'm asking these questions somewhat in a, yes. in a cheeky tone. So it's not just right. like, man, all Greg cares about is right. money. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's important. And yeah. you, again, have a family. I, I, right. I am... Uh, Less responsible for anybody. <laughs> so in theory, I should be taking greater risks. Yeah. But well, I do feel a little like it was a little from sort of on paper, a little irresponsible of me to quit my day job to do comics. You know, like I had sure. three young kids. You know, I had a job where I had health benefits and 401k and yeah, that's pretty vacation wild. days and all that stuff. So to say... Oh, you're gonna quit that to follow your dream to make comics? Uh, you sure you want to do that? And I, I left it. Tried to be really. I planned it out really well, and I gave them tons of notice, and you know, didn't burn any bridges and any of that. Thinking, well, did you who, have anything built in? Or like, if if this maybe in eight months I'll ask for my job back. Well, I for a while I would get regular sort of emails from my old boss checking in to see how comics were doing and that kind of stuff. Oh, so, was, that, was that comforting or was that frustrating to know that you had this fallback position? I remember hearing an, a, yeah. a comedian, Brian Regan, somebody asking about his start in comedy and how his parents wanted him to go to college right. so he could have somebody to fall back on. Right, I don't know if you've right. heard him say this. No, I haven't. And but... he's like, no, I didn't want anything to fall right. back on because if I had something to fall back on, I'd fall back on it. Right. I mean, I, I left that job, so like I had sort of made the hard choice. So it was comforting to know that that option was there. Like if it's like if comics blows up, you know, maybe I don't have to be a greeter at Walmart. But you didn't want to go back. But I didn't want to, and not a, anything against it, just it's not where I wanted to be. Yeah. And I, I don't know, like uh, in, there are appeals to that type of work, and maybe someday after I've made a bunch of comics, I'll want a job that's requires less of me. But I don't know. I, I really like making comics, so I, I don't see that happening anytime soon. Yeah, no, I remember leaving Nickelodeon, and as I was leaving, saying, like, who knows? I might be back in eight months. Right. Like, I'd, I'd give myself eight-month yeah. window, and then maybe I'd have to ask for my job back. Yeah. And uh, I'm so thankful I did not have to ask for yeah. my job back. At least yeah. not yet. Yeah. Is there anything you thought we'd talk about that we haven't? Um, anything you expected me to bring up? I know we didn't really talk about Sea Bear and Grizzly Shark. No, not too much. That's all right. But all you anybody needs to know is it's yeah. awesome, yeah. and they should read it. Thanks. Yeah. Or is there anything you thought like, I wonder if he's going to bring, like anything, as a guy who listens, I mean, obviously you were disappointed no. in my let's talk about how we meet, my, yeah. how we met chunk. Yeah. Well, we covered that. <laughs> I know, but it was... And you a, mentioned, I thought you might mention the the brian smith smitty connection because i remember I, I got to it eventually yeah, i remember having a because he was like an editor like probably the first editor who was like super positive about my work and he was working at marvel at the time he's like oh i'm gonna find you a job <laughs> like he was like that direct about it and he's like if i can't find you something at marvel i know editors at dc 
He's like, I'm gonna, we're gonna find something. And so I sent him sample pages. Is this over the phone or email? I met him at Wizard That's Chicago right. Right. a different year. And so it was like in person. I was just in in the like two hour portfolio review line. You're standing out, <laughs> oh, just the, like weed out all the weak people. You know, have a review line that takes you two or three hours to get through, and do sample pages. And it's way better now. Just make your comic and let people see it. Put it on the internet. You know, it's hard to make a comic, but yes, yeah. continue. So I was like, oh, like I finally have an editor. Like I'd heard enough stories about how people break in, which was like, well, an editor liked my stuff. And it took a while, but eventually they found me something. I was like, finally, an editor likes my stuff. And he said he's going to find me something. I didn't take it at full face value because who knows. Sure. But, you know, I sent him more samples and I got a phone call from Ralph Macchio, which I assume was his boss yeah. uh, you know somewhere in the chain there so like he called me on the phone i was like oh my like ralph macchio like i've seen his name in like a million comics you know and so that was pretty crazy like that was one of those moments that you're like oh i'm gonna remember this moment you know for the rest of my life so you know it was pretty awesome so i was sending sample pages and not long after the ralph call I read on the internet somewhere that Brian had left Marvel. I was like, no. And then when I met you that weekend, I think it came up just randomly. You're like, well, you were sort of telling me your story. You're like, well, I was working at Nickelodeon and then I got Brian Smith a job there. So he left Marvel. I was like, ah, you, you're the one that cost me my, my shot. You know, like it was you, like if you hadn't got him the job, you know, he has still worked there and who knows what would have happened. It's funny. There's, there's a list of guys I can point to. Who I helped get work. Yeah. And there's a shorter list of guys <laughs> that who you I actively blocked from getting work in some sort of roundabout way. Inadvertently blocked <laughs> through my own actions. Yeah. Yes. To be honest, I probably wouldn't have. The stuff I was doing at the time and the time it was taking me. You would have it, gotten an issue of Ultimate Team Up, I think. Yeah, I would have got something. That's my money. I'm putting that on either Ultimate Team Up or something in the tsunami. Not the tsunami. Um, the manga verse. You'd yeah. have been right there with Scotty yeah. getting something. I would have been all over that stuff. Yeah. So I wouldn't have been ready anyway. None of us are ready when we get the first shot. Yeah. You just go. I know. You, I, was, you, I was ready to go. I thought know, I was ready. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was about to say. Nobody's ready their first shot, but we all think we're, we're about to I thought to I was ready like five years before that. It's like, what is the matter with everyone? Can't they see how well I drew this boot? You know? And then you look back and go, I would never give myself work. Oh, never. Yeah. Just like, what was the biggest weakness? We'll end on this. What was the biggest weakness of your early stuff? I was always better at drawing stuff. And I think we might have talked about this earlier, but always better at drawing like objects and things right, right. than dynamic movement. I think so, we talked about this before we were recording. Yeah, yeah <laughs> like maybe at dinner tonight. And I feel like in comics... If you can do, if you're the opposite, like if you can draw characters that are really fluid and dynamic and exciting, but your cars don't quite look like cars and the guns look a little fake, that's all right. You can get by with that. Like it's comics. That's sort of what they're supposed to be. And like, I would always, I'd reference the guns and I like drawing stuff. And so all the like parts of it would always be well drawn, but the actual figures, (laughs) you know, would be kind of stiff and clunky. And, you know, looking back at old sample stuff, I'm like, oh, why did I never take the time early on 
to learn how to draw what an actual face looked like. Oh, man, if we had you known know. each other in 95, we could have teamed up and made a perfect, perfect example. Yeah, because I feel like you're the opposite. <laughs> I was completely the opposite. And even now, your stuff is really gestural and, like, you capture little expressions in the way people sit. And even that stuff, like, that stuff is hard for me. That's the stuff that, you know, I'm like, oh, I really got to nail this gesture and I keep working it out and working yeah. it out. But when it comes to, like, oh, there's this building or this scene or this environment, I, you know, I go to town on that stuff. When I you were draw describing your, your approach to double vision, I was like, yeah. mine was so different. Yeah. Mine was like, okay, I'm going to tell this story. I want cool poses. Right. I guess this is what an airport looks like. Right. I don't think I think I maybe looked at one picture of an airport yeah. and then it moved along. And yeah. I remember Mike Carlin was looking at the pages because up at DC, this was after my internship, so oh, okay. people were getting me into other buildings. Right, right. And Mike Carlin was looking at the pages, which was awesome. Basically, I showed them to Dan Raspler, and right. he took me over to see Mike Carlin. So right. I'm like, oh man, this is this means right. something. Right. And then Mike pointed out that I drawn police officers. He's like, yeah, this isn't what police officers wear. Right. They don't have badges on their shoulders or whatever the hell I draw on. Right. He's like, and that's not how a cop would hold a gun. Oh, like, okay. You just, that's not, I think I had like hand fully straight and then right. like other hand on the elbow. elbow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like bad right. 80s cop right. show right. gun holding. He's like, yeah, you have to look and see how, how someone, would how someone hold holds a gun. a gun. I was like, okay, okay. And I mean, it was, you know, right. I was taking it all in. Right. But. I did none of the research that you, right. you know, clearly. So, yeah, I think in 1995, if you paired the two of right. us up, from 95 to 99. We might have made a decent comic oh, book team. We would have been an team. amazing comic book team. <laughs> it would have still looked childish and, and young, but. It would have been better than the, been, sum, yes. the sum of its parts would have been better. Yeah. Yes, and I think the sum of our parts have been terrific in this past hour or whatever yeah, it is. They've been pretty pretty great. So just one question yeah, for yeah, you. Yeah. you. You mentioned showing your work to Dan Carlin. So what other... Dan Carlin? Uh, sorry, Mike Carlin. Mike Carlin. Dan Carlin is the podcast <laughs> we both like. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Although you listen to Hardcore History and yeah. I listen to Common Sense. Yes. Uh, Mike Carlin. Yeah. What other kind of, quote, comic book famous editors and people did you like show your stuff to early on oh in the lead up yeah like before the marvel days where you like were working with people you know so the first the first guy ever to the first pro to look at my stuff and and give me feedback was ted mckeever and i think i might have told that story he came to my high school he was local to miami and then the first convention i went to (laughs) i remember i there were somewhere i just i didn't know what i was doing Mm -hmm. i think i was 17 Mm -hmm. and i went to this convention or maybe I was 18, and, like, Dick Giordano was there. Oh, wow. I didn't have pages. I had no right. samples. I just right. had a sketchbook I was carrying right. around with, like, finished drawings in it. Right. So I asked him to just sign a page I had drawn with Batman on it. Right. And he's like, he, I remember he looked at me, and he's like, that's, that's all you want me to do? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And in hindsight, I'm like, yeah, I should have had would him have look draw, at the, He would have probably drawn you a Batman if you would have asked had him. him. Look, I didn't even think of that because I didn't know oh. sketching was a thing. Right. I should have just had him look at the book and give me right. feedback. Yeah. Some sign it. Right. I had Jerry Robinson sign a drawing nice. of mine. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> and then I showed the sketchbook to Aaron Lepresti, who was oh, drawing okay. Sludge at the time. Oh yeah, I remember that yeah. stuff. Yeah. And he was he From was Malibu, right? Yeah, he yeah. was super nice and yeah. and very encouraging. He's like, you know, this looks good. Your again, gesture work is good. Your right. figures are good. Work on backgrounds. Work on sequentials, which is sort of what Ted McKeever had said. And then really the big one was that Will Eisner class mm. that I've talked about. Yeah. A million times over. I mean, there's nothing... Nothing was more encouraging than that. Yeah. And then I think... I went to a gym shooter lecture. That was very cool. And he gave me a quick portfolio review. Uh-huh. I remember he commented on my... Uh, 
like objects and stuff. Yeah. The word he used was glyphing. Oh yeah. He's like you're glyphing. Right. You're glyphing. I'm like I don't know what that means. Yeah. But yeah, I've heard people use that term before. I think it means you know my my context clue was you're turning things into a hieroglyph, like you're symbolizing right. things without drawing the actual things. Right. Right. So that's when I started to pay more attention to right. looking at what stuff looked like. Right. And then I think I was an intern not too far after that, like a couple of years later. Yeah. And then and then you start talking to right. You know, I had editors I would actually talk right, to, right. And, and they'd get legit feedback. Right. Some better than others. Yeah. Yeah. The Mike Carlin thing was an editor at Marvel knew Dan Rasper at DC, so he got me a meeting with him, and then he showed. And then I remember showing stuff to Evan Skolnick at Acclaim because he worked for Tom Brevoort at Marvel. So oh, I started okay. to like, you know, you start, once you're in, right. you can start connecting the dots. Right. None of it really came to anything, right. but you start showing it and people right. start giving you feedback. But not a lot of artists, really. I ended huh. up talking to a lot of editors. I think yeah. I, I keyed in on, they're the ones that hire you. Right. And that's who I'm going to show work to. Yeah. And I probably would have learned a lot more if I talked to more artists. Yeah. <laughs> but, that's interesting. And it's yeah. always kind of neat to look at your sort of, people that you sort of met coming up, you know, and I don't know, it, it just feels like there's that sort of connection. Yeah, I didn't have like a, you know, I had a crew in high school, my yeah. art class group, yeah. but of that group, I'm the only one that's drawing comics. Yeah. Uh, there are a couple other guys that are still making art, but in general, I think everybody else sort of went, went there, went, went to there where they were going. Yeah. So, you know, in terms of that stuff, yeah, I didn't, I didn't have like that kind of, we, we were readers and fans, but right. We weren't like giving each other portfolio reviews. Right. No. No. Yeah. I never and then even in college, like I didn't go to art school, so I was the only guy. And again, I was showing stuff to my roommates right. who didn't read comics, <laughs> and it was on purpose. Right. You know, yeah. to get that kind of feedback. So yeah, once I came to New York, and I was at Marvel, and I was surrounded by it. Right. That's where I met Smitty, and okay, you know, we were off to the races. Yeah. Is that the right answer? Yeah. Yeah. That's right interesting. Answer. Yeah. No, I like I like when it gets switched up on me, and I have to answer something. <laughs> And then I can cut it all out. No, that'll stay in. This is a good one. Thanks. Jason, thank you, man. Sure. See you, Greg. I got to tell you guys, I am sometimes so self-satisfied with the music choices and the bumpers. Oh, forget it. So after all that talk, after an hour and a half of talking with Jason, he made mention to me the next day that we completely overlooked and neglected possibly the most legitimate professional connection he and I have, which is Chick-fil-A Cow Hero Comics. Uh, a number of years ago, Chick-fil-A had these comics that they were selling with their kids' meals, I presume. I don't have Chick-fil-A near me, but Jason was hired to draw one of these. He was asked if he knew other, any other cartoonists who could do something like this. He gave my name, so I was on board. I drew the swatter. He drew Decibel, and coincidentally, that comic he drew, Decibel, was written by... Brian Smith, Smitty, the same we spoke about in the episode you just heard. So the fact that this didn't come up uh, is shocking. Well, shocking. I'm taking shocking back. I recru- I recruise, 
recuse. I recuse use of the word shop. Shocking. Wow. I don't even know words. Maybe if we spent less time talking about Tom Cruise, speaking of recruise, I'd be able to talk like a normal person. Anyway, apologies for overlooking that team-up of epic bovine proportions. And if you could find those Chick-fil-A comics, good on you. All right, some audio paperwork to get through. StuffSaidShow.com is the website for this show. You can get past episodes there. More than that, there's bonus content. Show notes. For example, in this episode, Jason was nice enough to provide some of his early comic book sample pages. I'm going to throw some of those up. An awesome photo of some of his rubber band guns, and they are awesome. And maybe some bonus audio. I think there's some stuff that got cut that, you know, might be worth throwing up there. Story about Jason's first car. You know, the important stuff. On the site, you can also comment about this episode and other episodes, past episodes. You can also donate, as I mentioned previously, and I want to thank those of you who have donated. I'm never sure if I should name the names of people who donated. I send them thank you emails, but if you want your name said, let me know and I'll say your name on the show. How about that? That seems fair, right? You can email me, speaking of saying things to me, at stuffsaid at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at my name, at Greg Schiegel, G-R-E-G-G-S-C-H-I-G-I-E-L. That was fast, I know. The show is on iTunes. You can go there. Please give it five stars and please leave a comment. That's apparently important. You don't know what to say? You can write five stars, like those words, or specific to this episode, you can write either coming in hot or double vision. There you go. Bunch of options. Stuff Said is also part of the Acme Wave Projector Network at acmewaveprojector.com. That's where you can also find the Acme Cast, which is a good comics talk show with comic book retailers talking about comics. I mentioned my book, Picks, One Weirdest Weekend, at the top of the show. It will be in the December previews catalog, which means it will be in comic book stores, good comic book stores, in February of 2015. Please tell your local comic shop to order copies or just one copy. If you have a store near you that's really good about stocking comics for kids or for girls, please let me know via email or Twitter. I want to talk specifically to those stores about this book. Go to PixComic.com for more, including the first chapter, which you can read for free. It's free. First chapter. It's right there. Read it. Tell your store owner to read it. Something so they can order this book. All the information's on that site. The theme for this show, Stuff Said, is by Craig Chin. You can find him at rudeanagrams.com. And for more about me, you go to hatterentertainment.com, H-A-T-T-E-R entertainment.com. Okay, so that's all the business business. I want to talk about one last thing. Earlier this month, November 2015, cartoonist Jeremy Dale passed away unexpectedly. I knew Jeremy. I'd met Jeremy and his terrific wife, Kelly, through my associations with Acme Comics and their tremendous free comic book day events that they have there every May. He is uh, he's somebody I plan to talk to for this show. Um, he was working on his own book with Skyward that, that's published by Action Lab. Uh, he was a convention powerhouse. This guy went to so many shows, did so many sketches. It's unreal. 
I, I yeah. Like he would go to shows. I think there was one month he went to a show every weekend for the entire month. That's a lot of shows. That's insane. I can't even wrap my head around it. And he was doing that while writing and drawing his own series. But then beyond that, he had a history in broadcasting, and I would have loved, like I, I had in mind, like we're going to talk about broadcasting. That's going to be the that's going to be the angle. Uh, but anytime we were in the same place, it was either free comic book day weekend, which is madness, or we were at a convention, which is madness, or I would be in Atlanta, which is where he lived, and he was out of town because he was at a convention, which I've established those are madness. He was super friendly, super gracious, and as pertains to podcasting, he had a tremendous voice. It was so good. It makes sense that he was in broadcasting. It was the kind of voice you just sort of like listening to. Like if he starts telling a story, you just you get wrapped up in it because the voice sort of, like that snake in Disney's Robin Hood, sort of hypnotizes you a little bit. But I, I'm not going to get the chance to have that conversation. And that is upsetting. Not for any other reason than I like talking to Jeremy Dale. And I would have liked for other people to hear us talk. Um, In lieu of that, I I would say consider checking out other appearances he's made on podcasts. He was on the Acme cast a number of times on a show called The Hour Cosmic. Uh, Those are the two that I'm aware of off the top of my head. It is shocking and sad that he's gone. Uh, he was a hardworking, good man, and he will be missed. That's about all the stuff I have left to say. See you next time.